Okay, we've been going through the Old Testament. We're up to 1 Kings chapter 22. First Kings chapter 22. We've been seeing some of the kings of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom as the Lord brings them kind of to the surface and lets us take a look at what they're like and things they're going through. We've been spending some time looking at King Ahab here recently, and he was a wicked king. And uh, today in this chapter, we're going to see his demise. So the Lord lets us see there, this is going to come to an end. In First uh, Kings 22, let's jump into verse 1. It says, Now three years passed without war between Syria and Israel. If you remember, we saw this a while back there, that there was a war that took place, and uh, the Lord had Syria and Israel going at it, and the Lord kind of squelched that, and then Syria had to back off. And uh, there was, now the Lord lets us know they actually were able to celebrate peace for, for three years. But of course, the Lord is telling us that because it's going to come to an end. Something's going to take place here. So verse 2, Then it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, remember that's the southern kingdom of Israel after they've been split now. So Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went down to visit the king of Israel. And if you're thinking of the map there, you're thinking, well, wait a minute, he's from the south. How is he going down to go to the north? But it's showing us the perspective from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was set up higher. So uh, whenever they came down from Jerusalem to go somewhere, uh, yeah, you got to be careful with those terms. <laughs> It'll confuse you if you look at the map and you think it's talking about north or south here. It's, it's really talking about from Jerusalem's perspective. So verse 3, it says, And the king of Israel... That's an northern kingdom now. He said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth in Gilead is ours? But we hesitate to take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. If you remember back in chapter 20, the king of Syria, after he had been soundly defeated by the work of the Lord through the northern kingdom there, uh, he made a, a promise here to King Ahab. If you want to look back to that, it's chapter 20 and down to verse 34. And remember, Israel had defeated them twice. Uh, they, they came against Israel. The Lord stopped that one, and they came later on, and the Lord stopped that one too, and they were soundly defeated that time. And the king was afraid, uh, king of Syria was afraid he was going to be had. So at that point, uh, he got real humble, and he, he bows down. In verse 34 there of Chapter 20, it says, So Ben-Hadad, he's the king of Syria there, he said to him, The cities which my father took from your father, I will restore. So there was a promise that any cities that belonged to Israel, and uh, his father conquered them, took them, stole them, whatever he did to get them, he said, I'm going to give those back to you. Of course, he was pleading for his life then. And it's funny how you know we can make deals when we're in a bad situation and kind of forget about them later on. So that's what's going on here in chapter 22. And uh, you got to keep an eye on Ahab. He's a pretty slick character here. He's got a visiting king with him, all right? But he's, at this point in verse 3, he's not talking to the king, you notice. He turns to his servants, and he just kind of throws this out there. And this is a little scheme he's coming up with, but he's, he's trying to be real sly the way he does this. 
So again, in verse 3, he said that, you know, this place, it's really ours, but we hesitate to take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. Now, in three years' time, Syria has been able to rebuild their military forces, so they're, not, they're, they're a major threat at this point. And uh, we see him kind of acknowledging that, that we're hesitating to take this back. You knew if the guy was a pushover, he'd have just went and took it, but there's a problem there. So it goes on then, uh, and by the way, it's kind of funny, you mean an evil king is not going to keep his word? How shocking, you know, right? I don't know when you see these, these bad guys making deals with other bad guys. How can you trust anything, they tell you, right? I don't get it. Anyway, verse 4. So he said to Jehoshaphat, now, now he turns from his servants, he turns to King Jehoshaphat from the southern kingdom, and he said, will you go with me to fight at Ramoth Gilead. So <laughs> we find out later that Jehoshaphat, his son, actually married into Ahab's family, and that was a big mistake because uh, now they've been interconnected between the northern and southern kingdom, and it'd be okay if these guys were on the same page, but they're not. Uh, King Ahab is really wicked, and King Jehoshaphat is a really good guy. So uh to get these, these families intertwined is a big mistake. So Ahab here, as he's now working on King Jehoshaphat, he's trying to use peer pressure for one, because he's already announced this to his servants. Hey, this is something we need to do. We should have taken care of this, right? So then he turns to him, and he's also trying to use a little public embarrassment here. And his goal is he wants to manipulate Jehoshaphat in order to get him to help him go to war with, uh, with the king of Syria. And at this time, the northern kingdom of Israel, they had an army, but they were going to need some, some help if they were going to take on Syria. Syria had grown. Like I said, their military was back. Well, it just so happened that the southern kingdom of Israel at this time, which is referred to as Judah, and that's where Jehoshaphat was king, they had a sizable army of over one million soldiers. That's huge, right? So uh, we'll see later on in, in Second Chronicles that comes up and gives us more details with the numbers. But here Ahab now, he knows this, and he knows we could really use that kind of help. So that's what he's going after here. He wants to uh, convince and kind of twist Jehoshaphat's arm into fighting alongside of him, okay? So we're getting to see some more things about Ahab here. He is a real manipulator, and this is where we're going to get some lessons, too. He's setting up Jehoshaphat here. And Jehoshaphat, he should have just told him no. He's not going to do that, but it's what he should have done. Okay? So there's a lesson for us here. We need to learn to say no to people that have a bad agenda in mind and just walk away from them. Okay? And that may be something we need to learn, but, but that is really important for us to get. Jehoshaphat, we're going to find as we see his life more later on in, in Second Kings and everything, he had a problem with telling people no. Even when there was evidence to prove that this is a really bad idea, he just had a hard time saying no when somebody came up and asked him to be part of the deal. Okay, And some of us may have that same problem, but we need to learn that, that we have to say no when it's needed. And it may actually take some practice. If somebody said, just look in the mirror and say out loud, no, 
no, no, no. I get used to saying no. <laughs> you know? uh, so one of the things we want to ask here as we look at this too, is there someone right now that's trying to put pressure on you to get you involved in a bad deal and you haven't said no yet? Because if that's you, the Lord's trying to help you right now to get out of that mess before it becomes a real mess. Okay? All right, let's go back to our passage there in verse 4. It's Joseph had said, Will you go fight with me at Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are. Now there's no way, okay, for him to make a statement like that. Jehoshaphat was a godly king. And Ahab was about as evil as they come. And for him to say, I am as you are, it's like, no, 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 don't even think that. So they weren't even close to being the same. And when it comes to you and me, we are not like the world, okay, being in Christ. So stop trying to fit into the world. The Lord has set us apart for himself, and we are not on the same path as the world. The world's headed for destruction, we're headed for an eternal fellowship with our Lord who redeemed us. He made us part of our family. We just got to celebrate that with communion today. So we are not as the world is, okay? And this is a good thing. It's a very good thing that we're not as the world. So uh, it goes on here in verse 4. He said, I am as you are, my people as your people. Man, I sure hope not. <laughs> the northern kingdom is filled with idolatry and the worship of Baal, so... For him to, to link up him and his people, he's now joining the kingdom that he represents to agree, okay, and be part of this. He even said, my horses are as your horses. So he basically just said, my military is yours, whatever you're, whatever you're looking for, okay. Jehoshaphat should, should not have agreed to do anything with Ahab. You should never make a deal with the devil because it will never turn out good, you know. And that's a very important lesson we get here. We need to be very careful in making any alliance with someone who has been known to have evil plans. We need to be very careful about that one. And it doesn't matter who that person is either. It doesn't matter whether they're a relative, whether they're a coworker, or even some political leader. You know, if they're getting, putting pressure on you and wanting you to join up with them, you don't even want to go there, all right? The Lord does not bless evil alliances. Look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6 in the New Testament here, because the Lord has a word for us even in the New Testament on this. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and I know you're familiar with this. We just want to make sure we get this in front of our eyes and our heart again today. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and down to verse 14. It says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And jump down to verse 17. Therefore, come out from among them. It doesn't say join up with them. It says come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. And the reason we're separate is God's sanctifying us. And that means separate. He separated us from the world, he separated us for his purpose. Come off from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. Okay? 
You can't blame the Lord. He doesn't want us to become defiled and then come running to him. It's like that little child that gets all filthy, muddy, dirty outside and comes running up and says, Daddy, let me give you a hug. You say, whoa, why don't you just hang on a second here? Let's get you a bath first, and then we'll do the hug, okay? Yeah, so the Lord has every right to, to slow us down when we, we start to think, and I'm going to go defile myself for the world, and I'll be right back, Dad, to come get a hug. It's like, wait a minute, let's, let's think about this, okay? So back in our passage in 1 Kings 22, now, Jehoshaphat, as we look at his life, we'll get to see more of him, like I said later on. He ends up being one of the most godly kings in the southern king of Judah. He's a good guy. I mean, we're, we're, we look to this guy and we're thankful they were blessed with this guy for a while. But as one guy put it, even though he was such a great guy, he had a very bad habit of making a decision first and then praying about it afterwards. You know, rather than praying first, and then making a decision. So when we do something, you know, like this, we need to be really careful because we're getting ahead of the Lord. And that's that's not a good idea. That's dangerous because he can see things much more clearly than we can. And he can see much, much further down the road than we ever could. So if you want to get yourself in deep trouble, all you have to do is start practicing this wrong method of making decisions first and then praying to the Lord about it afterwards. And Jehoshaphat, unfortunately, is our example to look at because you'll see he does this and he keeps having bad consequences on the other side. You know, I could maybe see him coming for counseling and say, I don't get it. What's going wrong? You got things backwards, buddy. You pray first and say, Lord, do you want me to do this or not? You don't just say, yes, I'm going to do this and then say, oh, Lord, by the way, that's okay, right? And then you got problems here. So Jehoshaphat, here he put everything on the line as I said, he even gave his troops, basically, to Ahab's disposal. And this is before he ever prayed about it. And it's going to end up actually scaring Jehoshaphat almost to death because it's, it's going to get really, really bad for him. And we think about this, it should scare us too when we do something like that because we're trusting in our own understanding rather than trusting in the Lord with all of our heart. We just took Proverbs 3, you know, verses 5 and 6, and just flipped it around. Said, I'm going to trust in me first. And then I'll pray and say, Lord, are you okay with this? You're going to put your blessing on it? <laughs> That's not what the Lord told us to do at all, right? So Jehoshaphat, he was very willing to help Ahab here, but he does have one major condition, okay? And uh, we'll see that if you want to look at verse 5. Also, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Please inquire for the word of the Lord today. So after making the decision, said, yeah, we're all yours, we're on board, let's go do this. And then he goes, oh, and by the way, we need to check with the Lord to see what he says about this. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you're really going backwards. So he was willing to help him, but he did have that good condition. I want to check with, with Yahweh. I want to talk to the Lord of Israel, the Lord God Almighty, and see what does he say. So it would have been great if he did this first, but at least he is seeking the Lord. So like I said, he's a good guy. He just got a really bad habit in his life. It's not helping him any. So verse 6 goes on. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together. So Ahab's going to try to appease him. Going, oh, okay, okay, well, we'll get the Lord's answer on this one. So he gathers a bunch of prophets together. It says about 400 men. Now, are they, just from what we've seen already in the past, are these going to be really great guys who love the Lord and walk with the Lord? No. Jezebel's trying to kill off all those guys, right? So if he can pull out 
foreign prophets, we know there's something wrong here, right? These can't be the best guys around, all right, if you want to know from the true Lord of Israel. So these 400 prophets come together, and he said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth-Gilead to fight, or shall I refrain? So they said, Go up, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. So these are the false prophets here, obviously. They claim to speak for the Lord, but they are on Ahab's payroll. <laughs> so they're, they're basically politically yes-men at best. All right? As you know, false prophets... They aren't even as reliable as that old magic eight ball. You, you remember that thing, you know, it actually was a toy that was supposed to help you with fortune telling or seeking advice. And it started way back in the 50s. And I think it's still even around today. I think you can still find these things around. But if you've seen those, they were just this little black ball. You'd, you'd ask the thing a question and you'd turn it over and there's a little window at the bottom and this little thing would float to the top and, and it would supposedly give you a very wise answer. It's like, Really, <laughs> you know, and it was all bogus, of course. These guys here, these false prophets, they're worse than trying the eight ball. You do better with an eight ball than you would with these guys, right? Yeah, so they just told Ahab whatever he wanted to hear. That's all they did. Didn't matter if it was good or bad advice. They just, they knew what he wanted to hear. So they're like, yeah, man, you're right on, brother. You're doing great. So uh, if, you, if you're, not, you had nothing to do with the truth that they had to tell him, had nothing to do with the Lord. It was just Ahab's thing. So verse 7 goes on. Joseph had said, Is there not still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? So Jehoshaphat speaks up here. Now, how do you like this guy? He's not arrogant. He's not rude. But he doesn't just go along with the crowd. Like I said, he's a good guy. He's being as polite as he can here in the way he's responding. But have you noticed that we, since we've been saved, we've got the Holy Spirit living in us. We were singing about that this morning. Since we've got the Holy Spirit in us, he makes it really hard for us to just go along with the crowd. <laughs> Have you noticed that? Yeah, We can feel that inner conviction and the grieving of the Holy Spirit if the crowd's trying to lead us the wrong way, and we're contemplating, well, I might do this, Yeah. And when the Holy Spirit does that, when he, he convicts us and he lets us feel that grieving that he's feeling, it's a very uncomfortable feeling, you know, and it's intentional, it's supposed to be. So with Jehoshaphat, I love this question. Is there a prophet of the Lord here? And if you caught this, did you notice? He said capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. If you look back to what the prophets were saying at the end of verse 6, when they said, go up, for the Lord will deliver you, it was capital L, but it was small, O-R-D. All right? So he's asking the question, well, I hear your guys. But I want to know, is there somebody that is in touch with the true God here? You know? And by him asking that question, he just pointed out that these 400 prophets are talking about a different God. I mean, think about that. So when you and I are talking to folks and they start coming up with their own version of God, and I know if you've talked to people about the Lord, you've seen this. They've got their own idea of what God is like, and it's nothing that talks about it in the Bible, right? When they do that, we should point that out to them as well, you know, and let them know and make it real clear, we're talking about the one true living God, the God that is in the Bible, that's the one we're talking about. So Jehoshaphat, 
He was basically saying, we need to hear what the true Lord has to say. And you know, folks, that's what we need to hear too. We need to hear what the Lord has to say. And, and when we're confronted with a question or something like that too, please don't be afraid to open your Bible in front of the people and tell them what the true God has to say. It's truth, okay, what we have in the Word. So it's okay if somebody says, I'm saying, well, let me check something here. I think there's a verse on that. Pull out your Bible, open it up, and say, yeah, it's right here. Here's what God says. You know, we got a right to do that. We're here on this earth when we're left with the truth of God to share that. So don't, don't think you have to hold back. No, we, we really need, when it comes to stuff like that, we need to throw political correctness out the door where it belongs. We need to speak the truth in love, but let people know what God is like. So verse 8, after he asked that question, so the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, this is one of those places you'd love to see look in the guy's face. He's just been asked, isn't there a, a good prophet around, a true one, you know? So there is still one man, he said, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital E. He says, but I hate him. Really? Because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. <laughs> it's like, you hate him. Oh, my, how revealing. <laughs> you hate the guy that speaks the truth from God. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. And he's, he's upset because he said he never says anything good about me. It's always evil, you know? <laughs> so the reason he never has any, it doesn't dawn on Ahab, apparently. The reason he never says anything good is because Ahab's not good. <laughs> he's evil. It's like, duh. Why do you think the guy never says anything good? So the end of verse 8 then, Jehoshaphat, when, when he heard that come out of Ahab's mouth, let not the king say such things. So here's Jehoshaphat. He's rebuking Ahab here. I like this guy, huh? He had enough boldness at that moment to correct a king. All right. I think that came from him having enough faith in the Lord himself and having integrity in what he believes. It's like, whoa, that's the, you're talking about God's stuff here, and you need to be careful about that. You know, in case you're thinking, too, that I can never have that kind of boldness, the Lord tells us that we never have to worry about what we're going to say when we're put on the spot. Take a look at Luke chapter 12 for a second. I want us to just kind of get this reference in our head a little bit here. Luke chapter 12. I know you're familiar with this one too, but man, this is good stuff just to keep it in front of us and get it back in the, the front of our mind and our heart. So Luke chapter 12, and you look down to verse 11. As Jesus told the disciples this, he said, now when they bring you to the synagogues, and magistrates and authorities. And if anybody could make you sweat, those people could make you sweat, right? Being put on the spot. He said, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. We don't have to worry about it when we're put on the spot. He said, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. You know, I heard a guy talking uh, this week on the radio and he was talking about the Holy Spirit in us and he didn't say this, but he just really made me start thinking about that. Do you realize, because the guy was talking about us being a better witness for Christ, and he was kind of talking about us working ourselves up to this, you know. But you think about this. We have the Holy Spirit in us all the time. Wherever you go, wherever I go, if you're in Christ and I'm in Christ, wherever we go, the Holy Spirit is with us. 
You talk about the best evangelist in the world. He's with us all the time. So all we really have to do is say, Lord, please help me get out of the way more. You just speak right through me. You know, we don't have to say, I got to get better at this and better at this. We already got him. He just, we just have to say, Lord, please have freedom just to take over my mouth, my mind, my heart, and just speak right through me. Right? I mean, we had that opportunity. So when Jesus said, hey, the Holy Spirit is going to teach you in that very hour, he's going to teach you. That means maybe you didn't get it before. <laughs> maybe you didn't know what to say in that situation. You forgot to study that angle, you know? And he says, it's okay. If you're put on the spot, Basically, just get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit talk, and he will, you know. So it's a cool blessing we have from the Lord. So back in our passage again in 1 Kings, Jehoshaphat here, he was insisting that by him, him rebuking Ahab, he's basically insisting that we need to listen to this other prophet, you know, the one that, that Ahab hated. So back in 1 Kings 22, if you look down to verse 9, he says, Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, Bring Micaiah, the son of Imlah, quickly. So the king's saying, Quick, let's get this over with. Okay, you want to hear this guy? All right, we'll get him. But guys, get him here quick. I don't want to fool around with this. So verse 10, The king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, having put on their robes, which is kind of interesting, the Lord gives us this detail. They both have their kingly robes on, both of them, okay? They sat each on his throne, at a threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And that's the, the northern kingdom's capital, right? And they're in the gateway. This is where all the normal business was taken care of in a city. Okay? So it says, and all the prophets prophesied before them. So apparently, while they're sitting there waiting for this guy to be brought to them, all these prophets are going to continue to prophesy uh, while they're waiting. And I don't know if they were all, you know, trying to get to the top of the heap, maybe get a raise or something. I don't know what they were up to but they're going to continue trying to pump up Ahab. You're the man. You're the man. You can do this. God's on your side and all that. So verse 11. Now Zedekiah, he's one of these false prophets here, the son of Shaneah, he had made horns of iron for himself. Okay, so he made this thing. And he said, thus says the Lord. And now notice he's using capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. These guys have no fear of God. Okay. He said, with these you shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. So here this Zedekiah puts on a dramatic display here, you know. That should bother us, you know. And we even see some supposedly Christian churches and ministries that use these kind of props to put on a dramatic display. You know, folks, I like to just stick with the simplicity of God's word because that's where all the power lies anyway. It's in the Word. It's not in any prop we come up with here, you know? You think man can come up with a prop that's going to enhance the Word of God? Never happened, okay? Yeah, this is American showmanship sometimes we see going on around us. So verse 12, and all the prophets prophesied. So I wonder if they're like, man, I didn't bring my, my props today. I forgot them, but I still got to try to get some, some stuff here, some points. So they were saying, go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper for the Lord will deliver it into your hand, the king's hand. And notice the name for the Lord. They're doing the same thing. They're going to use the name of the Lord God of Israel. So they just keep reinforcing their message of good news to the king, even though it's completely false. Okay, verse 13. Then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him. So they're bringing him now. And here's what he says. Now listen. The words of the prophets, with one accord, 
They're all on the same page. And they encourage the king. So he's giving them a heads up before they even get before the king. So he says, please, let your word be like the word of one of them and speak encouragement. It's like, man, don't. Don't be bringing judgment to Ahab. He's not going to like that. And you're going to ruin his day, and that's going to ruin our day. So please, just make him happy. Okay, tell him whatever he needs to hear. That's probably how they pump each other up with these false prophets. So this messenger is, is trying to tell him, just go along with the program, man. Don't make waves. All right, verse 14. If you mark verses in your Bible, this is one to mark, okay? Micaiah said, as the Lord lives... Boom. <laughs> Whatever the Lord says to me, that I will speak. <laughs> this is a great verse. This is the statement that we should all commit ourselves to. If God said it, then it's true. And if he didn't say it, then it's a lie. Okay. And the thing is, some people don't want to hear the truth. They would rather believe a lie because it makes them more comfortable. But for those who reject God's truth, they think that they feel better today because they don't want to deal with it, but they're not going to feel better for all eternity. And that's a lousy trade-off. Take a look at uh, 2 Thessalonians 2. 2 Thessalonians 2, or I can read this to you as well, but I love seeing you get this in front of you because these are verses that are great reminders for us. Again, it's God's truth, so we're just building yourself up in, in faith, looking at the truth of God's word. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, down to verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. This is talking about the coming of Antichrist. With all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. And here's what's going on. Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lies, what they want to do anyway, so God's just going to help them along, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So if people want to reject God's truth, and they do this long enough, and the Lord knows the future, he knows down the road if they're ever going to turn or not, he might just allow them to believe the lies that they want to believe. You know, and you might wonder, I, I've thought this before too, when you see people that are in some of these crazy cults, and there's a lot of them, right, that, that get stuck in these things, you may wonder, how can they stay there? Don't they see? Don't they get it that this is crazy stuff? Some of these places that have these wicked anti-God ideas, you know, and I think the Lord gives us the answer here why they, they stay. It's almost like the Lord is saying, if, if you want to believe all those lies, then go right ahead. And I just might help you with that one. Man, you talk about scary. And one thing we need to realize about taking a stand like this guy, Micaiah, did. You know where Micaiah ended up and where he came from? He was in prison. <laughs> because he spoke the truth about God. He was in prison. That's where they went to get him. And after he's done, they're going to take him back there again. So just realize that if, if we're willing to speak the truth of God's word, we may not be very popular, but that's okay. I think somebody said this, it's better to be a Micaiah in prison than an Ahab on the throne because Micaiah is going to end up in a much better place for all eternity than Ahab was. Okay, Verse 15 goes on back in our passage in 1 Kings 22. 
Verse 15, he says, Then he came to the king, said, Oh, Micaiah is there. And the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall we, shall we refrain? And he answered him, Go and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. <laughs> so he uses sarcasm here, just telling them exactly what they want to hear. He says, All right, I'll go along with this program. But look at the reaction of King Ahab. This is real telling. So the king said to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And he's really talking about the true God here. He really says, Why do you do this? So apparently, this is a common practice that he apparently came and shot the sarcasm at him first. And King Ahab realized, You're just saying that stuff. I really want to know what is what does the Lord say? Okay. So I'm thinking probably the reason he did that is probably because he got the same speech every time he was on the way to the king. Just tell him what he wants to hear. He's like, okay, <laughs> I'll do that. But it's going to come out very sarcastic. You know, I have to say, I really like this guy. I'm kind of partial to sarcasm myself. <laughs> I know you can get in trouble with that, and it can be annoying. Lisa has to correct me on using sarcasm sometimes, so you can pray for me on that one, and I know Lisa would appreciate that, but I'm kind of partial to that stuff. Verse 17, then he said, so now he's been kind of busted on his sarcasm, so he's going to talk to King Ahab, and he gets real serious at this point. He said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd, and that means, Ahab, you're going to die. They're not going to have a shepherd after this battle's over. And he said, and the Lord said, you want to know what the Lord says? Here's what he said. These have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. And that's exactly what's going to happen there. Okay. Verse 18, the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you you would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? <laughs> now, this is weird when you think about it. Ahab knows he wasn't telling the truth when he was being sarcastic. And now he knows what he said, and he don't like it, but he must know it must be true. Wow, yeah. But but look at Ahab here. Poor me. He always says evil about me. So what does he do? He makes himself the victim. Really? Come on. But he does. That's what he's doing. Verse 19. Then Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. He said, i got some more to tell you if you want to listen. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who will persuade Ahab to go up? And here's the reason he wants him in the battle that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead. The Lord saying, this is it. This is his last battle. He's done on this earth. So one spoke in this manner and another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. So the Lord said to him, in what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. So, you know, remember from, from Job, if you read that uh, recently or before, in that story we're told that all of the angels have to report before the Lord, both the good angels and the fallen angels. And apparently this is kind of the same picture we see here. And as the Lord is throwing this uh, opportunity out for someone who would want to carry out this deal, apparently one of these false angels 
the fallen angels, they show up and say, I'll take care of this. So Lord says, well, how do you plan on doing that? And he says, okay, go ahead. And it's going to work. All right. So the Lord, as somebody said, he doesn't create evil, but he has every right to use what he's created for his own purpose and his own good. Uh, part of it, you know, Lucifer was created good. He turned evil. These angels were created good. They turned evil. They're still part of his creation. He didn't make them that way to be evil, but that's what they chose. So the Lord has a right to do that. He can use things that look pretty bad and make them work for his own cause there. So uh, the Lord tells Ahab, and you think about this, as he's just heard this vision uh, that uh, Micaiah talks about. He's telling this to Ahab, but Jehoshaphat is sitting right there too. He's hearing this whole thing. You know, so he lets them know what's behind the scenes. And this is amazing to me. Sometimes the Lord opens up heaven and gives us just a glimpse of what's going on. And I don't know about you. I don't get it all. I mean, I can picture this and it's like, wow, the Lord gives the angels some freedom there. They have choices too. And, you know, he even asks them, hey, what do you guys think? You got a plan on how to take care of this and stuff? Wow, it's just amazing. We would never know that stuff if the Lord didn't open up these, these small little windows and give us a glimpse from time to time. You know, verse 24 goes on, uh, and um, for verse 23, let me put that one in. Therefore, look, he said, here's what's going on. This Micaiah is still talking. The Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours, and the Lord has declared disaster against you. Man, you don't want to hear that, huh? Verse 24, now Zedekiah, the son of Chenei, went near, and he struck Micaiah on the cheek. And he said, which way did the spirit from the Lord go from me to speak to you? So this guy's mocking him, but it's going to come back on him. Verse 25, Micaiah said, indeed, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide. He's saying your world's about to be turned upside down when your king goes to war and he gets butchered and he's gone. And all of a sudden, everybody's wondering what's going to happen to our world. So he says, when that happens and you decide you're going to go hide someplace, you'll get your answer, okay? Yes, you don't mess with the Lord. That's crazy stuff. Verse 26, so the king of Israel said, take Micaiah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, that's the one who intermarried with his daughter, and say, thus says the king, put this fellow in prison and feed him with the bread of affliction and water of affliction until I come in peace. So he's saying, stick him back in prison and feed him just enough to survive. That's it. And he says, I'm going to come back in peace. It's kind of like, I'll deal with you then, buddy. He never came back, right? So again, it's better to be in the prison as a Micaiah than to be on the throne as an Ahab because judgment's coming, and it's not going to be pretty. Verse 28, but Micaiah said, <laughs> as they're taking him off, if you ever return in peace, the Lord is not spoken by me. Whoo, scary words. And he said, then he looks at all the folks that are all listening, including Jehoshaphat, take heed, all you people. So some final warnings here from Micaiah. Verse 29, so the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth, Gilead. Now we just read that and say, okay, they were going to go do what they said they were going to do. Despite everything that Jehoshaphat has just heard from the prophet of the Lord, and despite seeing Ahab's bad attitude toward the Lord and his true prophet, Jehoshaphat is still going to battle with Ahab. 
You can see this guy's got a character flaw somewhere. It's like, why would you do that, you know? And you think about this. There are times when we all mess up. We're going to make a bad decision and, and get ourselves in a pickle sometimes. But you know what? When we're there and we have opportunity, like Ahab did here, he could have walked out the door. We need to just gracefully back out of those situations, you know? It's foolish to go full steam ahead when we should know better. And he should have. Verse 30, the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, so here, here's Ahab working his little deal again. He said, you know what? I'm going to disguise myself and go into battle. But you, put on the robes, you know, put on your kingly robes on and shine, man. You're the king. Said So the king of Israel disguised himself and he went into battle. So apparently... Ahab believed what Micaiah had prophesied about a king who's going to get killed in the battle today. And he wasn't going to take any chances of standing out as being the king of Israel. But he wasn't above trying to set Jehoshaphat up as being a bigger target, you know? So he encourages him to wear his kingly robes into battle. What a nice guy, huh? Verse 31. Now the king of Syria had commanded the 32 captains of his chariots, saying, Fight with no one, small or great, but only with the king of Israel. So he gave orders for them to, to focus all of their efforts on killing King Ahab. Because he knew if I can take him out, his troops are going to retreat, man. He's done. Okay. So verse 32, so it was when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat that they said, surely it is the king of Israel. Therefore they turned aside to fight against him, and Jehoshaphat cried out. I'll bet he did because he realized what is going on. The whole war is coming to me right now. And it happened when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel that they turned back from pursuing him. Now we're going to see it later on in Second Chronicles. The Lord gives us more detail, but uh, he did cry out and apparently he was crying out to the Lord and saying, please help me. I'm in a bad situation here. And the Lord did. He answered that. And I thought it was funny. Somebody was because we're not told what he, he actually cried out. This is all kind of speculation, but we know the Lord rescued him. That's really clear in the Second Chronicles passage. But somebody said, maybe these guys got close enough and just heard Jehoshaphat crying out in prayer. And they're thinking, well, this can't be Ahab because he never prays. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, this has got to be the wrong guy. Just, that can't be Ahab. So I think, you know, this about scared Jehoshaphat to death. He had gotten himself in, in such a bad mess here because of that bad decision he made, and it almost got him killed. Wow. You know, remember, pray before you make a decision. And don't make deals with wicked people. Whew. Verse 34. Now a certain man, this is interesting, here's the battle going on. A certain man, just some guy, he drew a bow at random. This wasn't a planned sniper attack here, okay? And he struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. Someone say, man, what a lucky shot. You know, it, it didn't hit the armor and bounce off. It actually got in between the plates of the armor in one of those open areas, and it, it pierced him, okay? But, you know, the Lord predicted this was going to happen, so this was no coincidence. And it wasn't just a lucky shot. <laughs> you just go against the Lord if you don't know what's good for you because the Lord, he's not one to mess with. So it goes on in verse, in verse 34. So he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and take me out of the battle, for I am wounded. He's wounded, all right, 
He's going to bleed out. Verse 35, the battle increased that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot. So they probably said, prop me up to show the guys I'm still here. I don't want them to lose heart here. Uh, facing the Syrians, and he died at evening. The blood, blood ran out from the wound onto the floor of the chariot, and that's just what he did. He bled out. Then as the sun was going down, a shout went through the throughout the army, saying, every man to his city and every man to his own country. So they realized the king is gone at this point. Uh, if you jump back to verse 17, we looked at earlier, this is what the Lord said. The Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. And they did. King's dead. Everybody said, let's go home. And they did. So verse 37, so the king died and he was brought to Samaria and they buried the king in Samaria. Then someone washed the chariot at a pool in Samaria and the dogs licked, licked up his blood while the harlots bathed in the same water there, according to the word of the Lord, which he had, had spoken. Now, this is amazing uh, to me that they actually buried the king. That's a picture of God's grace. He actually got a decent burial. That's, that's uh, amazing. Uh, also, this fulfilled the prophecy that the Lord had spoken through Elijah uh, in, back in chapter 21 and verse 19. Uh, and here's what the Lord said. You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, have you murdered and also taken possession? Uh, in the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. That was a fulfillment of prophecy. So verse uh, 39, it says, Now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did, the ivory house which he built, all the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings? So Ahab rested with his father, then Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his place. So this guy had built a, a, these places of luxury for himself while he was still alive. But when he left this world, he left it all behind. It's over. You know, so man, there's some strong messages here about you want to live an evil life and enjoy some evil pleasures. You might be able to get away with that for a little bit, but it's going to be short-lived, and when it's over, it is done. You're not taking none of it with you. So, yeah, we get some scary lessons. We're going to stop here because we'll, we'll Lord really get back to this next time. Some of the things we're going to see from this place on, verse 41, anyway, they're kind of a, a lead-in to the next book of Second Kings. So we'll get a chance to see that next time, Lord willing, as we put it all together. Man, we get some, again, some hard lessons, some scary lessons, but some great encouragement from the Lord. He shows us guys here that are willing to stand for truth, even when everybody else is against you, even 400 wicked prophets. You know, but man, the Lord's with us. We can stand for truth. Let's pray. Father, we, we just can't praise you enough for the work you've done in our life and how you're going to continue to work in us. Lord, as we, we saw here today, we know your Holy Spirit is in us. Please, Lord, don't let us get in the way of what you want to accomplish with our life. Lord, if we're somewhere this week and there's someone you want us to speak to, please bring us to that person and help us to get out of the way and just let the Holy Spirit speak right through us. And Lord, I know when that happens, we'll even be shocked. Like, wow, we didn't, didn't see that one coming. But Lord, we're your servants and we're so thankful you let us follow you, serve you, be part of your family. Now, Lord, we're here. We're here for you to use. So thank you for these folks. And, Lord, we just want to give you the praise for all that you're doing. And that we thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.